Yeah. All right. You guys <clears throat> TV it up. Yeah, good. You got them hidden. All right, all right. So here we are, Cleaner Than Your Vegetables podcast, as always, brought to you by EnviroCan. Um, on this cast, we uh, dis- aim to discuss, debate, and address the issues that arise while navigating the cannabis, hemp, and boutique ag industries. Um, today, I'm so happy to be here with James Cunningham and Ian Swift from Fog City Farms. Good friends, local boys, and so happy to have you guys on the cast. Happy to be here. Thank you. Great, great. Yeah, and so <clears throat> before we jump into everything, <clears throat> I mean, we're living in, I feel like, many historic times at once right now and one of the things that's come up that really is you know intimately connected to cannabis and the work that we're doing um, bringing things from a uh, illegal criminalized market into a regulated sometimes over-regulated chaotic legal experiment and so how do you guys think about um, the work that you're doing right now in the context of things that are going on regarding you know equity, criminalization, racial disparities, all this kind of stuff seems to be at the forefront of every conversation. So yeah. let's start with that. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll chime in. Um, again, Ian Swift from Fox City Farms. Thanks for having us on the podcast. Yeah. Um, it is interesting times, you know, to go from uh, a very underground and, and criminalized industry uh, to, now, to now being, you know, fully legal and uh, considered essential. Um, while at the same time, you know, there's a lot of people still in jail mm-hmm. for something that I'm getting paid to do yeah. and for something that's now considered by the government to be essential. Um, you know, it's, it's really good to hear people standing up and speaking out for things uh, and working towards a more equitable and just society. Um, you know, I think that cannabis is making strides in that. Um, but I think that, you know, we do need to go back and look at historically what's uh what's been done to people of marginalized communities Mm -hmm. in the cannabis space and uh really try to go back and kind of rectify some of those wrongs that were done historically um but i do think that there's some strides that are being made you know um i am a person of color and I'm, i'm proud to be from this from this industry from this area and uh work with some people um and other minority groups um in in our in our uh, company, in our space, um, women, other uh, people of color, um, other um, other minorities, if it's other thought processes, other other mindsets, um, other equity classes, and stuff like that. I think all of those all those people can get represented in equal ways. Yeah. Uh, if we just spend the time to, to try to make it happen. Yeah. You know, and and one of the themes of a lot of the you know, at least lip service is this point of legalization is, you know, first stopping that criminalization cycle to go from going on. And unfortunately, we haven't completely done that with cannabis legalization. But then the other thing is, you know, kind of what you as you put it, you know, writing some of the historic wrongs to these, you know, historically targeted or over targeted communities that are primarily communities of color and black and brown little boys specifically. Um, and so I think in the cannabis industry, you, you guys are license holders in Watsonville, which we're recording right outside of. And, um, you know, that's a, 
um, you know, large Hispanic, Latinx population. Um, and in their ordinance, you know, the recent one with dispensaries and stuff, they've set aside at least one of those licenses for in each category for equity um, applicants and licensees. I know that the work that we've done at the county brought some license, um, state equity grants down um, and monies from there. I think Watsonville didn't receive any, but it has uh, ordinance uh, equity ordinance on the books and as well as Santa Cruz City who I think got some of a different grant money for that and that seems like what we want to build off right and so and you know I think that beyond just uh, having legal cannabis businesses survive right and offer a model to places that other states and parts of the world that are still criminalizing um, we need to show that not only can we make a commercially viable model, but then balance these issues of historically, you know, targeted communities and including them. <clears throat> and so Santa Cruz and Watsonville, I think, is doing better than a lot of places, but we still got a long way to go. I would agree. I would agree. Yeah, I mean, the only way to move forward uh, in a coherent and productive way is to look at history and the lessons that we've learned from there. And uh, like you were saying, uh, kind of building in some... Um, equity, quote unquote equity, um, into policy mm-hmm. is one real way that you can uh, try to guarantee at least um, positive change um, moving forward. Uh, it's definitely not perfect, but I think that Santa Cruz and Watsonville have done a good job at, at trying to be inclusive yeah. more than more than other places. And it's a uh, it's a good first step, right, to towards just legalizing cannabis. Um, in itself was a good first step to giving resources to folks that that don't necessarily have a ton of you know historical accolades right Mm -hmm. uh uh, people who have history in this industry were drawn to this industry uh not necessarily because of the ease of entry or the ease of workload but because um you know it's very difficult to provide for yourself in uh california yeah especially if you have a family right so so at this point, people who don't have degrees, people that don't have um, any job history or anything like that, are able to be specialists in something. You mm-hmm. know? And so um, from a firsthand account uh, uh, of that point of view, that's been, that's been and of many, you know, I share that experience with, with a ton of people in this industry. It's been an unbelievable experience to be, um, to be uh, put in a position where you can have influence and, and you could bring a different perspective to... Uh, to industry period yeah so no and and in that sense cannabis is far more inclusive already than a lot of other places and um and i think that the kind of gift of cannabis that we've been able to come up on i think our duty is to pass that make sure that there's those doors are open for the next generation and particularly the communities that have been targeted and i think this is a perfect segue into uh your organization, you know, Fog City Farms, the arc that, you know, I've been, you know, on the periphery of and watching you and many organizations go through. And I'm so proud to that you're, you know, what I call survivors of this first, you know, phase of. But what's a, a little bit of the arc of the organization and your personal journeys into uh, where you are now and how did it all start with cannabis? And Sure. Um, the arc, I mean, it really started um, just in cannabis being, uh, thankfully, a huge part of our local culture here in Santa Cruz. Um, um, and many of the, the individuals that 
uh, we all grew up with or are professionals in this industry. And when I look around the table and see familiar faces, um, still here, still surviving, still making it through this initial stage of regulation, it um, definitely makes me proud to be from here and, and, and to have gone through all of those years of things not being legal. You yeah. Know? And so, so now that it is, um, obviously, uh, there were things that were, um, that were over and underestimated in regards to regulation and, um, and the potential for, uh, uh, taxation and just overall revenue for this industry. Um, different parts of it were overdeveloped and underdeveloped. And, and I think that really the teams that put together the most well-rounded approach towards towards management and ownership are the ones that are here um, uh, succeeding. You know, we're trying to build a, a real business at Fog City Farms. Yeah. So we're we're not thinking, okay, you know, we're gonna produce more weed than anybody in California. Yeah, you know, not we're not thinking, the bottom. We're gonna, you know, develop way ahead of our means and then have to dig out of a super deep hole. You know, mm-hmm. we're trying to uh, develop responsibly and locally provide local jobs and and get vertically integrated here in our region instead of trying to take over the state, which, which is what the, the industry kind of, I'd say California did a better job of making sure that that didn't happen. Like many of the other States, um, that, that we're seeing, uh, but, um, but you know, uh, many people's game plan, what, you know, that, that was the game plan to gobble up as many licenses as possible. Mm -hmm. And then they realized that it was a lot more difficult to develop than they thought. Yeah, and <laughs> build know? an attractive portfolio for investment instead of a business that stands on its own feet. Right. And right. and so in in that transition, you've kind of touched on it. And is a, a lot of it is about growing naturally at the right speed and pace, and then also working with people and having the right team. And did a lot of that team transfer over from the medical days? And, you know, it, it was kind of a looser association. And then at least you two got together 100%, right around this yeah. project. Well, we, I mean, we, I mean, obviously we've been uh, very close for a long time, um, but uh, this project brought us together professionally. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, all of our uh, friends and family um, that have been with us throughout the, you know, all the, uh, the old days are, are here with us now. And then along with some new members. So we've, we, we realized that, you know, in regards to business development, uh, accounting, uh, the regulatory environment and navigating that space, we had some shortcomings, you know. Yeah. And I feel like that was another thing, another pitfall for more like legacy operators like us mm-hmm. that they ran into, right, thinking that they didn't you know, they wanted to keep the whole pie. They didn't want to share anything. And, you know, they end up coming up against, you know, bills and, and, and the, the natural rotation of, of a regulated environment. Um, that's a difficult thing to keep up with, you know, and you have budgeting needs to be very stringent, you know, and, um, and just business development in general needs to be very methodical. And, uh, I think that's why you see people kind of, uh, you know, trying to pay the bills however way they know how because mm-hmm. because they're not necessarily, they don't have the foresight um, that somebody from a more traditional business environment can bring. And so we we um, teamed up with uh, some real estate development uh, specialists in, in, that are in the greater South Bay area and um, they helped us in, in you know, uh, raising money for our project and um, have since joined our team and merged um, on a localized level to, to develop it responsibly. And, um, and we figure that, you know, if we're all in this together, then, then we all um, 
you know, we all essentially have something to lose, right? That's not yeah. the that's not yeah, the way yeah, you yeah. want to look at it, but but like we're all we're all in this together, you know. Yeah. So yeah. No, and and that's really the. It's been a challenge that I've I've watched, you know, almost all of the people I know go through. And there's a, you know, you need to partner, and you know, you can't do it just by yourself. And you the I, idea is that you get the right partners on, but it always doesn't work out that way. It right. almost usually doesn't work out that way. Mm-hmm. And so it's great to to see you guys, you know, first still here and still smiling, and <laughs> um, and then also the that you're attributing the success of making it to this point of having the right team, the right partnerships and all that. Yeah, and I also think that, you know, as a company, we started for uh, various different reasons. We started on a uh, somewhat smaller scale than some of the other companies who Uh got into the legal market did. And I think that that was to our advantage in a lot of ways. It it was uh, an advantage uh, allowing us to keep our team pretty close knit and tight. Yeah. Um, You know, we, we were able to uh, partner with people who we really trust instead of being out on a limb and having to take chances with people who we didn't necessarily know yeah. as well as uh, we do. Um, it, no, yeah, that makes it, perfect it, sense It allowed us to me. grow at a, at a good rate versus yeah. just kind of going full bore and, and not knowing where that next step was going to put us. You know? Yeah, and, and so that brings us kind of to the, you know, you have an operation that five or six years ago any of us would have looked at as, whoa, this is a big place right. and now sitting next to what we're sitting next to we can really right. see the you know the boutique nature and that it's small business small scale and you're talking about that as an advantage and um um you know so everyone knows um you guys are indoor growers in mm-hmm. the city of watsonville right um you know great for indoor growing fog city mm-hmm. you know, you know and, and so can you tell us a little bit about indoor growing specifically and how you landed on that as the angle that you wanted to take in the cannabis um, space because I know you know there's everyone had hopes of you know mixed light in the hills and went through all sorts of phases and had to pivot and land things but I also know that you know medical days people were in you know small garage growing so can you kind of talk about the transition sure I'll speak for myself and for James I think um you know, we, we were medical garage growing, um, just like a lot of the friends and, and, and acquaintances that we have in this area, in this yeah. space. And uh, when the uh, opportunity presented itself uh, to try to get a, a license, uh, the city of Watsonville was one of the initial uh, first early adopters, uh, mm-hmm. allowing people to apply for licensing. Um, their ordinance was only allowing for indoor and it was an easy transition for us mm-hmm. um, that's kind of where our uh, expertise was in the space um, so we kind of jumped on that opportunity and have uh, continually tried to um, tailor what we do to be uh, unique to be something that's that's uh, not easily done by guys who have mixed lights um, you know that is I, I hate to say it like that, but it is a competition yeah. that you know we ha- we have to produce something that's not easily rep- rec- um, not easily done by other people, or else you know somebody who is bigger is is going to probably going to be able to produce it um, you know well, a little bit cheaper. To to expand on that, uh, the pre legalization, we all know that that most of the shelves in in California were stocked with indoor product yeah you know? and so uh being as familiar as we were with the space uh that was 
that was our angle, you know, uh, to, to build a successful company that is rooted in what was the norm there. And I think that the, that the mixed light scenario and also just, you know, unbelievably scaled outdoor grows and things like that came from people looking at our region and saying, well, look at how well it does naturally here. We're going to build these things. What mm-hmm. they don't understand is that those mixed light greenhouses are almost as much per square foot to develop as the indoor space. Yeah. You know? And so what you get from there is is all of the inconsistencies throughout uh, the year in, in the weather change and, and uh, you know, vapor pressure deficit fluctuations and light intensity fluctuations and, and all of those things that directly affect the quality of your crop from that angle. Yeah. Not to say that I, I don't think that uh, at some point the crops that are produced annually out here in the hills aren't going to be the most expensive crop yeah. um, that are produced out of California because I do think that. But from, a, but from an annual production model, from a year-round production model, there's no more consistent um, platform than what we're doing right now. And so the more sustainable we make that platform, and I'm not claiming that we are a, a quote-unquote like sustainable practice yet, but we're on our way um, once we figure out how to, how to uh, make reliable, sustainable you know, electricity on site, yeah. right? And which means kind of taking care of the carbon footprint that's produced by whatever's creating mm-hmm. that electricity, which, which they're on their way to, to do. Uh, but, but we are getting two lights for every one that we used to with the mm-hmm. same amount of cooling. Um, exactly right. So we, yeah. I, I guess we, we can touch on that maybe later. Yeah, yeah, now yeah. it will be getting yeah. there right away. Yeah, sure. And but, just let me throw in yeah. your, um, because of the region you're in and the right. Monterey Bay community power, right. actually a lot of the power that anyone's using in this uh, area can be, you know, not sustainable in the same sense, but that we're on the way totally. there. And it's much cleaner than the traditional 100%. PG&E. So that's great. And yeah, like I said, this takes us to, you know, kind of the heart of the issue where I'm excited to talk to you here is so that, um, you know, you you started kind of explaining how the controlled environment, right, it, you mm-hmm. know, it's going to be easier to maintain the perfect conditions for the right. plant, healthier plants, all this kind of stuff. But so um, in this new regulated sphere, you've got to, you know, you've got first larger power bills, larger, you know, cooling expenses, lighting. So it's been really incentivized to get it as efficient as it can. And uh, you have some exciting things, I think, that you and are the only ones doing right, with your, uh, you know, kind of the, the racks and mm-hmm. the LEDs. So um, two kind of part question for the is, um, you know, what have been the biggest challenges of, you know, getting power, air conditioning, all the things you would need in a garage, but on this scale. And then how has that been an opportunity to kind of innovate with the things that you're doing as well? Right. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll start. Um, so kind of just to describe our, our cultivation setup, um, we are an indoor facility. Um, each of our rooms have an approximate uh, footprint of about 900 square feet, but they're double stacked um, with rolling racks so that we get two layers of plants um, in that footprint. Yeah. Um, we, because of that, uh, our, our vertical height of each shelf is a, approximately five feet. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, typically people are using double-ended HID type lighting mm-hmm. fixtures. Um, those burn really hot and you have to have a very um, far distance from yeah, canopy exactly. top or top of canopy to, to the light. Um, just so that you don't get light burn and, and things of that nature. Um, we're able to, with our LED fixtures, uh, we, we utilize fluence light fixtures. And um, with another 
system that James has created and patented uh, called VAS, which is a uh, air movement, air circulation system, which I'm sure he'll tell you about in a second. Um, we're really able to get a homogenized uh, growing environment on both the first tier and the second tier, um, which is really uh, important for us uh, in the grow in the grow space. Um, really trying to get even canopy uh, all the way across so that we get even light spread. And, um... Yeah. And you're doing it some sort of like sea of green bunch of plants packed into the thing or what? How many plants per square foot kind of thing are you Pretty doing? Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. It's about a plant per square foot. Yeah. So yeah. standard-ish. Um, totally. Yeah. It's a, it's an interest. It, you know, um, I was actually just talking with Phil about this a minute ago. Uh, it's been interesting, right? Because, you know, as you mentioned, um, dealing with this scaled grow in a regulated environment is a completely different playing field than what we were doing before regulation, right? Even though we were, we were working at scale before, um, you know, in the medicinal market. Yeah. Um, um, but it's, uh, you know, there's a ton more expenses once you get into real development and getting power from PG&E, you know, that was a huge one. How long um, did it, you guys have to wait? I know that half the I Watsonville mean, is waiting for a year I, and a half or something. I think it was, I think it was, yeah, I think it was 16 months wow. that we waited. We picked up our transformer on our own. On your own? Yeah, wow. we just went, they were like, man, we've never done this before. And well, that was like, kind oh. of the start of, that's when the PG&E burnt down, you know, a bunch of stuff. Totally, so was that was the part we couldn't mayhem, argue with, right? you know? Yeah, it was like, man. Not that know. they've gotten their act together since. I think there's still issues. I mean, but, I feel like there's there's a ton of outdated infrastructure yeah. out there. Um, and no disrespect to PG&E. Thank no. you for all <laughs> no, your service. <laughs> no, but with our platform, I think, you know, what we're trying to do with the stacked growing platform, with the LEDs, with the with the air circulation, air movement system, we're just trying to find efficiencies. You know, the, the legalized market is an expensive market to work in. Indoor growing is can be expensive because of the power and, and, and all the all those uses. Um, plus, real estate is more expensive indoors. Um, so we really need to find efficiencies to make yeah. our platform work. And that's um, the most consistent uh, method of development in cultivation, I think, is what we're doing right now. Yeah. So and tell us about the vertical air, because I know sure. that's kind of the, you know. Yeah. Um, so showpiece, you know, that was another kind of influence on developing here. Right. So, um, we produce really high quality product in this region outdoors, but it's, it can be very difficult to farm because of the fluctuation in, yeah. uh, in the environment because of the marine layer and things like that. So I always was, um, uh, I figured out early on in my farming career that if I controlled the environment, then a host of things could go wrong and I'd still have a crop at the end of the day, yep. you know? Um, so, so that was my number, that was my first step in everything, whether it was a greenhouse, um, or looking at an outdoor plot or, um, or building out an indoor, obviously. And the, and the indoor is kind of a no brainer. You just, you do the calculations, you figure yep. out what your loads are and you get it going when you have a single tiered environment, right? You have your canopy and you've got your light, uh, four feet above your canopy and you've got all this big open ambient space to mix everything up and, and it's much more forgiving. So um, we started building this vertical space and essentially you're building a cube within your room, right? And it's like this layered cube. And uh, we have a long life cycle, high light intensity uh, demand and 
and this plant is susceptible to a lot of uh, pathogens, right? So, so if you don't control that environment, then, you know, you can lose your whole crop. And so it's not the same as what was developed for the 10 years previously um, in traditional horticulture with like tomatoes and leafy greens and all these different things that have shorter life cycles, you know, lower light intensities, more of a forgiving, you know, scenario. So we, um, we're looking at this cube and we're thinking, okay, we can supply to all edges of this cube all we want. How do we control the environment on the inside of this thing? Uh -huh. Because there's no way we're going to keep up with the rate of transpiration coming from the plants, the heat from the lamps, and the evaporative, you know, properties coming from watering. We're going to have microclimates everywhere. Yeah, and, and that just that cube, the corners get further from the center, the bigger you scale up, right? Exactly, right. And so, you know, that's on, that's those are other things in scaling as well, keeping kind of isolated controllable yeah. pieces of your grow, you know, I think is important. So you're looking at that issue and saying, what's totally. The so what are we going to do? You know, so we, um, I, uh, another longtime friend, uh, Matt Bogner, he's, he owns a local uh, yeah, sheet metal yeah. and HVAC company here. He, um, he and I got to the drawing board and started building something, um, in my garage. And, uh, essentially it's a plenum and a low profile ducting combination that, that pulls all the air from the ambient space outside the cube and delivers it um, tier to tier. And, and that's a very kind of simplified explanation of it. There was a lot that we had to figure out in order to balance the whole thing correctly. Um, but we also integrated CO2 injection so uh. you can have adequate CO2 levels tier to tier while the room isn't saturating, you know, um, gas spreads very quickly, but still just like you want that cold air to you know, you can't break through barriers, you know, um, you, you still need to supply it strategically yeah. while the room's saturating. And then um, we have filtration in uh, the system and uh, UV scrubbing and um, a host of other things that we're, that we're developing right now. But the idea is that you can supply to our plenum units or our mixing chambers strategically mm -hmm. and move all of the air through your room and return to your HVAC on the other side. Um, or however you want to design it, you know, we have yeah. different, different configurations, but that's becoming, uh, a, a, a kind of normalized way to look at things. And, and we've become kind of like the, the conduit for your, for your environmentals in the space. Yeah. Great, great. But before we go any further, we've got another tip from the mill. So cannabis has been a leader in innovation on the fringe fringe leader in terms of how it's generating response to new products and new innovations in horticulture that are brought to an industry that has extremely high value. And once those products have been introduced, applied, vetted, and proven, they typically scale and become more and more viable and, and more accessible and more bottom line driven and reflect a commercial ag application. Um, a really easy reference spot or, or way to look at this would be looking at all of the pure culture biological products that are generated in commercial cannabis cultivation or for commercial cannabis cultivation and then also now have been prevalent in our commercial food production. Um, so cannabis is definitely attracting innovation because it's a new industry that's coming out of a prohibition. Um, and as it's rising out of a prohibition, it's attracting a, a pursuit of an agronomic base, meaning a crop 
performance and production base of knowledge. And with that, it's attracting innovation and, and knowledge that is reflective to the rest of our commercial ag commodity crops. Um, and it's really exciting because it's it's a it's an opportunity to take a crop and you know develop a a, a learning or or a, or a system to generate learning that applies to many many other things in many other fields. And this is true in all ag commodities, but it's just the fact that cannabis is evolving out of prohibition and newly legalized. It's attracting new pest control advisors with information and strategies that you know, wouldn't have been there otherwise, or new products that those pest control advisors get to utilize and apply. And, you know, it works really well for these hemp and cannabis fields. And, you know, hey, it actually works great for the vineyards and the orchards. Um, so it's it's definitely an opportunity to, to highlight innovation. Um, it's an opportunity to, to highlight um, the ability to pull analytics behind that innovation and provide concrete detail that support the application use and management from those sort of sustainable practices and, and pursuits so, and so it's almost it's so you're looking at it at this cube and then you've made the if you're going to stack obviously hot air goes up co2 right. goes up, all these issues yeah. that um, if you're dealing with one straight canopy maybe you can figure it out but right. you've basically put the the air delivery system into your rack right. thing. And so instead of uh, one AC head or two or seven spitting out on the corner of your cube, you right. have something that is distributing that throughout the garden. Exactly. And, and, and another point to touch on that with this platform is that now that we've transitioned to LEDs, which are a much more efficient uh -huh. lighting source, and also just a much more conducive lighting source to you know, pushing the rate of photosynthesis, yeah. right? Because there's a much more usable spectrum. Usable yeah. spectrum. Um, the problem is, and I think historically what the issue was before we really understood light science, we'd look at LEDs and be like, man, these things don't work. This really yeah. looks underdeveloped, you know? And and it's light intensities, you know? So so you realize when you look at light that like, it's literally, literally indistinguishable by the plant as long as it's in the right range, right? Yeah. Like whether it's from the sun and LED and HID doesn't matter. If it's in that four to 700 nanometer range, then the plant's going to use it. So you have to get the light intensity where you want it, right? So that means you're shrinking that space even more. Mm -hmm. So that's even a little less forgiving, right? Because yep. if you want to make the most of your space and you're going to put another deck right there and you're going to light deck, light deck, you know? And so that was a huge uh, kind of influence on us developing vertical air and realizing that, man, this this space is shrinking and shrinking, you know, and, and if we want to achieve the light intensities we want to achieve and make the best use of our space, we're going to have to create a consistent environment in like, you know, in that, six to 12 inches. Yeah. <laughs> in, in, um, and we have, though. It, I mean, it works. I mean, we're within, you know three to five percent at any given time with relative humidity and temperatures are pretty are very consistent yeah in a space large spaces and multi-tiered space that's right impressive yeah and it's it seems like um that the along with the uh the leds you know having like this different sweet spot too there's also not nearly producing the heat which no. you know is a completely no. different equation than when you're calculating how many lights per ac right and it is i mean a watt's a watt yeah but it's it's not yeah <laughs> so and so like we we calculate per watt as far as the heat load goes but it's still it's still in its infancy there you know so like we're um they i mean you can have the lights on all night you can 
grab that you yeah. know that lamp and, and you're and you're fine you know so yeah yeah and then are you does the heat from the led is that enough even in the cold watsonville winter or do you ever have to turn a heater on through the uh we've had a couple of times when we thought about the heaters but um no we haven't had any issues yeah the temperatures coming off the lights have kept us right where we need to be but if you're in a different state or in tahoe right would you pump some heat through those things i mean during your during your night cycle yes of course but um but during i mean they're, they're still 660 watt lamps you know yeah. like if you you just tailor back your ac you know so that room will get to 120 degrees like that if you don't have an ac in there yeah so, so it'll no yeah yeah <laughs> no, you, you're like oh led no heat and then, no, whoa, they're, yep. yeah, they're, no i was just thinking about you know pumping yeah. heat through your, <laughs> your sure. system and, well we essentially do do that but the way we do it is kind of like the old old school method with uh, dehumidifiers, right? Yeah. So we don't have like an all-in-one system that takes care of your latent and sensible with like one system. We run separate systems. So we've got, you know, industrial, you know, AC units. And then we have uh, dehumidifiers that essentially just produce heat. So, yeah. Um, so we use that to regulate our nighttime temperatures. But we get that luxury here in, in California. Yeah, perfect. Know, so. And then, so we talked about, you know, a little bit of the tech of it, but then what's, what's your guys' experience been? I know that you've, uh, you know, recently, you know, your brand has been getting bigger and bigger, right? And um, everyone's dream is to not have to wholesale anything and put everything into the jars. And how's that journey been from the beginning of this thing with commercial indoor to now? You know, I think that, when we first started as, as Fog City, the brand, um, we had high aspirations of coming out the gate and putting it all in jars and, yeah. you know, paying all the bills that way. Um, I think we might have overshot that at first. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, as a new brand, you have to establish credibility in the industry. I think that we've done that now and we're, we're getting to a point where we're, we're fairly close to, to branding most of the product coming at, coming out of the cultivation rooms. Um, really excited about uh, some new strains coming down the line, which James can kind of point out, point out uh, in a second. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, for a new company, it's really a balance of how much branded versus bulk you do. Um, yeah. Because you do have, you know, bills you need to pay more um, up front. Some things can wait a little bit longer. You know, is is your brand going to be as re- uh, received as as strongly as anticipated in the in the uh, space? Um, so it's it's a it's an interesting balance. Um, but again, I think that we're, we're really close, and, and sales have really been going up on the brand branded stuff. And so I think that we're really excited about where we're going as a company. That's great. And it's like it's a funding thing, really. Like yeah. we, you know, we were competing with brands that pounced on the industry and threw millions of dollars into what we were trying to develop with whatever we could scrape off the top of our yeah you can't you can't afford billboards and so you you know it was it was an interesting scenario but like now i'd i'd say like we've been kind of drafting all you know 
uh, all these groups and, and our brands, I mean, we're, we've, we're picking up a ton of steam right now and we were filling yeah. a lot of their jars this whole time. No, you know? exactly. So it's like, and, you know, the quality is there a hundred percent. Um, we're getting taught and that's what was, that's what enabled us to launch the brand. Yeah. You know, and, and don't, don't think that I wouldn't be excited to have a billboard or yeah, yeah, <laughs> a really <laughs> strong marketing team, but I am proud of the fact that we they haven't did done it without, that yeah, and yeah. we have gotten totally. this far. And, yeah. and the timing, the drafting analogy is perfect because, you know, in the beginning, the folks who had the money to create the brands didn't have the know-how to grow the weed to fill right. their own jars. <laughs> right. And now their whole, you know, you don't need to get into specifics of details, but we are watching a reshifting of the cannabis industry now. And the first phase of this was all the small players going out. Right. And now actually a lot of the, the smaller players are in better positions than the larger players for various reasons. For sure. and, uh, and, and so it's perfect time to have yeah. your own jars ready to launch <laughs> right when they can't afford the billboards anymore right. well, the other thing i'll say about that is um you know all, all of uh, our jars are filled by cannabis that we've grown ourselves yeah. um not not every company can say that and, yeah. and i'm proud that we can so. yeah great and then that brings us to the you know so what's the uh favorite weeds you guys are working with or smoking yeah. on or all the fun part of the conversation i know you've got some new strains in the yeah. pipeline We've got some stuff we've been developing. I'm finally popping a bunch of these uh, seeds that um, there's a little breeding project, a little genetic sharing that I've been doing with some friends out in Maui over the yeah. years. Oh, and, um, and I've been kind of just hoarding them, waiting for the right time to, to pop them. And that's happening now. So that's going to be like completely proprietary. Um, and and right now we've got some really interesting stuff. We have a, a, a super grapey um, strain that's a, that's a grape head cross with gelato yeah that uh we're calling grape gas and it's really really tasty uh we have a pacific gas strain that's just your really gassy standard like yeah you know uh og influence strain um those are those are definitely our two favorites right now and we're just kind of trying to keep those consistent and play with other stuff in between you yeah. know so yeah and i love the bring the purple back you know the yeah. gelato and the uh, grape fino that's the urkel you yeah know, the urkel lineage the is, that's GDPs what it's all about and all so. that stuff yeah 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 that's great and then what's the uh is the maui stuff it's crosses of things that you've had from california with Here stuff that they've there. been growing there for a long time right and and a lot of their focus through the years um uh, has been in resiliency so they've been kind of looking they're in a very moist environment oh, yeah. so mold and mildew Tropical resistance even. um <laughs> right and so and which you know it'll be interesting to see what happens you know because certain things are are going to be used to certain photo periods certain things are you know there's a forever flowering environment over there so you can breed year round yeah, yeah. in the outdoor space you it. know you have to work to actually keep things in veg you yeah, know um, so way. right um so it, I've been waiting for this for a while. And, and that's kind of the part of it, right? When we launched this thing, we were purely, purely cultivation. And so we had to figure out how to distribute. We had to figure out how to get into stores. We had to figure out how to, how to veg our plants once we decided to take that model and do all of our veg work in greenhouses. We had to figure yeah. out all these things that weren't in-house. And now we're really getting fully integrated, you know, yeah, vertically integrated. Exciting. We've got our own distro now. Uh, we work with a, a small scale distro, local distro partner, but really uh, between the two of us, we're having a much more hands-on approach towards that. You know, we, we're hoping that we can get a retail this year, you know, and if we get that retail in, uh, in this region, then, then we're vertically integrated not only, you know, as a company, but we're, we're right here in our home. So that's yeah. like... 
that's the goal. Well, know? and that's where it's so exciting and, and, uh, you know, not to get too into local politics or anything, but right. just last week you got the go ahead, right. That Watsonville is going to be get, doing 10, uh, deliveries with the existing cultivators, right. um, there and opening three mm-hmm. shops as well, right. which also have a 15% mandate of local products, which is nice in you know, ways that we're blessed to be in this region. Um, and so th- that's the, I mean, I don't need to get too into this, but I see that kind of as the future of retail things for this next phase, right? Is the brick and mortars have an associated expense. You guys are already taking care of the expenses for your site with, you know, the things that you're doing now. So adding that in and adding kind of a uh, farm direct or a, you know, boutique CSA kind of thing seems like it's, it's perfect. And, um, uh, again, we're talking still in COVID times. So delivery right. seems like it's the uh, new thing or whatever Stores are going off though. Yeah. You know, I mean, people are still, people are the cannabis industry on the retail front is alive and well. And that's, we're, we're thankful to, uh, to be in this industry because, you know, uh, it's one of the few industries that kind of kept pushing through this thing, yep. you know, and, and the ones that were here the longest, the ones that, that had the resources to, to operate, you know, under these kind of restrictive sort of scenarios in, you know, that were brought on by COVID, you know, mm-hmm. are, um, the ones that are, that are making it through. Okay. You know, and, and I think we definitely called on our community and, and did our best to, you know, maintain distances and be, um, be responsible with everything we were doing. But there was a time there when we were just scraping and scrapping to keep our business alive. Yeah. Um, not because there was a lack of demand or not because our, you know, the bottom line is those plants keep going. Yeah. We, we yeah. need to process yeah, them. We need to, <laughs> we need to figure things out, you know? So we, we uh we we made it through and we have some new systems in place and we you know got resourceful and and we're thankful to have it so no and that's great and it's it's funny because a lot of the time you know when weed people get together people are still in the legal cannabis space it's talk of like oh well how are you doing this problem how are you dealing with this problem but i think the the covid thing you know being deemed essential is very flattering i like to think of myself that way too you know (laughs) but uh but uh it's also it was a a wake-up call for a lot of people of like wow cannabis is not the only industry on thin ice here and in fact this with all its baggage and problems and you know long way to go is actually something that we're all very very lucky to still be a part of and i think that the you know all the craziness over the last couple of years and now the world gone you know yeah. openly crazy instead sure. of hiding it or whatnot has has really made me especially thankful to still be involved in this kind of stuff and um, happy to have you know people that I respect and you know from the same community and friends with still involved with this so um so yeah know. no I, I just think it's like weed doesn't know how lucky it is sometimes but we get reminded yeah. every now and, and hopefully again. more people are smoking weed oh yeah <laughs> you well, know and like we really we feel like that's a you know that that you know the more acceptance that this plant gets the more that we're you know we're we're thankful to be here and and it's not just because of the business like we're you know this the consumption of of cannabis is a big part of my life um not just for recreational reasons but for medicinal reasons yeah and i feel like the rest of the world could could definitely benefit from it yeah know? and you know like <clears throat> dennis perone all use is medical use you know and I, I still really believe that and you know i wouldn't be here talking to you without the healing properties of cannabis and so we're we're blessed to have it in our life literally yeah and um 
yeah, maybe that's a good stopping point unless there's anything else that's incredibly interesting about you that you're hiding from me, you <laughs> no, know? No, man. <laughs> no, and, and, and again, like, us. we're so blessed to be sitting here talking. I mean, we've been friends and around each other for a while, and to think yeah. that we'd be sitting here talking about what I we're know. doing instead of, you know, <laughs> and then sitting in front of this like it's no thing, you know, know? It's beautiful times, even though it's, you know, dangerous and troubled times and right. just blessed to be where we're at sure so 100%. yeah thanks thank you great right on, great man.